Welcome back to Tequila She Wrote, a podcast about cocktails and true crime. I'm Sloan, your bartender for today. And I'm Trish, your crime tender. And today we are bringing you the infamous case of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ronald Goldman. It's a big case, but I get into the conspiracy theories of it, so... I've Put got on your tinfoil hats, everybody. I'm ready. <laughs> Sitting right here. <laughs> I'm ready. All right, let's go. Welcome back to another round of bartending with Sloan. Today I am doing a whiskey drink. <gasps> oh my I gosh. Gasp. <laughs> Is she sick? I don't know. Possibly. So what I did was I took the last bit of our Woodford Reserve, which is like a caramel sort of tasting whiskey. It's one of the few that I can like actually enjoy sipping on. So I took that and I added it to apple cider. And then to take it up a notch, I also put like caramel syrup inside the rim because I'm an extra bitch. (laughs) And this was actually a really good drink. So I know that we do a lot of clears on here, the vodkas, the tequilas. I try really hard to drink the bourbons and whiskeys and rums for you. It's just not usually my thing. But apple cider has definitely been my thing. And that made this a little bit easier for me to drink. And so if you are more of a whiskey bourbon fan... I highly recommend this drink. It was really good. So. I I try to do some whiskey drinks. It's just, it's hard because whiskey, whiskey makes me frisky, but not in the sexual way, in the fighting way. And yes, (laughs) that's why I don't do a lot of whiskey. Okay. (laughs) Whiskey brings out my Irish side and I get like. I get red in the face, I get red in the chest, and I am ready to fight anybody. Man, woman, bear, <laughs> bring it. So, yes, that's that's why we don't do a lot of whiskey drinks, just because it, it's not always a good time here. After all, we are tequila, she wrote, not whiskey, she wrote. Right. So, anyways, that is my drink for today. If you try this, I would love to hear what you think, and we'll let you go to this episode. Nicole Brown Simpson may be best known for being the ex-wife of O.J. Simpson, but the brutal death of herself and Ronald Goldman has been talked about for years. So whether you want to say she was more famous in life or death is really debatable, but the real story is... Basically, her and Ron's brutal death. And then, who actually killed them? Do we have a clear answer? No. But if you hang with us, we might have probably one of the best solutions, or I guess conclusions to this case, that I think a lot of people have in the past years. So 
hang with us and we'll get there. But first, I want to go into a little bit about Nicole and a little bit about Ron because I feel like they kind of get lost in the like hoopla of this case and the trial that like followed. It's all about OJ. Yes. And Ross Geller. It's like Ross Geller just walks into the. I'm like, Jesus Christ. I actually mean uh, Mr. Kardashian, not Kardashian. That's not his name. But yeah. you know, Rob Card. Yeah, Robert Kardashian. Yes, Mr. Kardashian. Jesus. Ugh. I know who he is. It was just funny that it was Ross that played the character. Because right. all I can think of is. Anyways, getting into a little bit about Nicole. So, she was born May 19th, 1959, sorry, in Frankfurt, West Germany. Her parents were Juditha Ann Brown and Louis Ezekiel. Sorry. Louis, like, Ezekiel Brown Jr. Her mother was German and her father was American. So she's a German-American. Join the club, dear. <laughs> I guess I'm joining the club because you were older than me. But still. <laughs> I, am, I am mainly German descent. Like, I have Italian and all that. But... The majority of my heritage is German. That's where my last name comes from. That's why nobody can freaking pronounce it. Okay. <laughs> I'm not even sure if we pronounce it right. <laughs> but it is what it is. Alright. The family moved to the United States. And Nicole attended Ranchero Alamotis High School. In Garden Grove, California. Sorry if I said that wrong. There was no, like, pronunciation anywhere. But she may have started out at that school, but she ended up graduating from Dana Hills High School in uh, Dana Point, California in 1976. And not long after that, Nicole met OJ in 1977 at the age of 18 while she was a waitress at a Beverly Hills private club called The Daisy. So the relationship began when OJ was still married to his first wife, Marguerite. And Marguerite was also actually pregnant at the time with their daughter, um, Aaron, I think is how it's said. It's A-A-R-E-N. So, Marguerite and OJ actually divorced in March of 1979. So, that was what, two years, three years after meeting Nicole. So, for a long time, OJ was cheating on the wife. No. (laughs) 
What are you talking about? He was a great guy. He was a football player. He did no wrong. What? No. Uh, so, OJ divorced in 1979, and him and Nicole were married on February 2nd of 1985. So, a good bit, actually, after he got divorced. So, like, Nicole and him had a, like, fairly long relationship. So, this, like, I go on to say, like, this was five years after he retired from professional football. So, if anybody was thinking, like, Nicole was going after him because of, you know, the fact that he was a football player and whatnot. She wasn't getting active player money. She was getting that retirement fund. So, it was whatever he had saved up because this is the, like, late 70s, early 80s. It's not like there were endorsement deals like out the ass like there are now. Yeah. So, Nicole and OJ's marriage lasted seven years. They had two children, Sydney and Justin. And during their marriage, OJ was said to be abusive towards Nicole. One incident apparently occurred on New Year's Day in 1989. And there was a police report where OJ said, I don't want that woman, referring to a Nicole, sleeping in my bed anymore. I got two women and I don't want that woman in my bed anymore. So, shocker. Great language he's, to use about the woman. You I mean, are. yeah. <laughs> There's that, but also like shocker, he's got like some side chicks. I mean, you essentially were a side chick. They do say a tiger doesn't change their stripes. So I mean, that is my only thing with people that end up like being in relationships with like someone that like they were basically helping the other cheat is you got to have some trust because then you're going, what's going to make you not cheat on me? <laughs> yeah, I think in that scenario, that's definitely true. I do know that people can change. People can change. People can change. But I would not think that the person that I cheated with. But, like, supposedly, I'm the only girl Nate's never cheated on. And you can bet your ass. <laughs> I think you'd be too afraid. <laughs> that if he cheated on me... He'd be losing something. Whether it's a body part or his life depends on the day. Let me just take a big old sip. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying. Just saying, like, I know that uh, people can change, but I would not stay with somebody that, like... Yeah, it's... It's just one of those things, like... I... Already... <laughs> being me I don't know why I just I have problems like trusting people and that and like Sloan has said I literally like can pick out things like nobody's business so like if if you cheated on somebody like while you were trying to like pursue me I personally could not like continue that relationship because I'd be like, no, you're going to fucking cheat on me. 
mm-hmm. were cheating on this person. What's going to stop you from cheating on me? No. <laughs> Call me paranoid, but no. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, getting back to this case. So you had that incident on New Year's. So, and that was in 89. And the same year, OJ was arrested and he pled no contest to spousal abuse. Nicole dropped the charges with the encouragement of her parents because they wanted her to reconcile with OJ. OJ, like, provided for her father with the op like he gave him the opportunity to invest in a lucrative Hertz dealership, um, which was financially beneficial for the Brown family. So like, yes, him and Nicole maybe didn't have the best relationship, but at the same time, he's also looking out for your family. So I see why like the family was very like pro OJ, but also like, that's, that's your daughter. Like, if he's beating her, is it really worth it? Like, who knows? Also, all the abuse is alleged. So, other than police reports, there's never any, as far as I know, there wasn't real, there wasn't ever any, like, physical proof. So, do with that what you will. Not saying OJ was a great guy, but also all this abuse is supposedly alleged. So, take it with a grain of salt. Eventually, Nicole did file for divorce, if I can speak, on February 25th, 1992, citing irreconcilable. Yes, irreconcilable differences. Sorry, I struggle with R's. It's been a thing my whole life. I blame the fact that I didn't have my front teeth for, like, a good portion of my, like, childhood when you're learning to speak and pronounce words. And also, weird weird side note, my tongue doesn't fit my mouth because apparently your front teeth stop your tongue Mm -hmm. from growing. So, my tongue doesn't lay flat. (laughs) So, I feel like it trips me up sometimes when I'm trying to say things, too. So, the divorce led to Brown and Simpson having a volatile relationship. But they went on to, like, kind of reconcile also. So, like, this is just, like, not a good relationship. Like, it's almost like you don't want the other person to be happy without you, but also you're miserable together. It's just, it, yeah, it wasn't the greatest relationship. On October 25th, 1993, Brown called 911, crying and saying, He was going to beat the shit out of her. When police arrived, Brown was secretly recorded by Sergeant Craig Laley. Saying he gets a very animalistic look in him. All his veins pop out. His eyes are black. 
and just black, I mean cold, like an animal. I mean very, very weird. And when I see it, it scares me. Brown also stated that Simpson had not hit her in four years. So again, that's why I mean there was never any physical abuse. It was it usually was verbal. They got in a big fight. And then police came. So months later, Nicole moved out of their shared home and their relationship ended. So that's pretty much Nicole's kind of backstory and whatnot. So the other victim in our case, who I feel like he really gets overlooked because it's, like we said, it's usually all about OJ. And then it's, yeah, OJ killed his ex-wife and some other guy. So you have Ron Goldman, who was an American restaurant waiter and a friend of Nicole's. He was born July 2nd, 1968. He grew up in the community of Buffalo Grove, Illinois, which is near Chicago. His parents divorced in 1974. He lived with his mother for a brief time, but at the age of six, his father was granted custody. There's a whole thing about that. Apparently, his mother was kind of like an absentee mother almost. And so it took like the state kind of learning details about that before the father was finally given, you know, custody and whatnot. So it's a big thing there. He went on to college at Illinois State University for one semester where he was planning to major in psychology. His family moved to Southern California when he was 18, so Ron decided to follow them and discontinue his studies. Prior to relocating with his family, Ron worked as a camp counselor and had experience volunteering with children suffering from cerebral palsy. So, Ron's, like, a really good guy, and, like, I feel bad that he gets looked over. But also knowing, like, basically what is eye-catching to, like, society and that, that it's understandable why it gets looked over. There's nothing really to bring attention from, like, a drama standpoint. Well, he was not in a relationship with a celebrity. Yeah. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yes. Unfortunately. And that's not as exciting for yes. the news. So, upon arriving in California, Goldman lived independently from his family and supported himself by working as, like, an employment headhunter and tennis instructor. He then had a string of waiter jobs. He did take classes at Pierce College, but not long before his untimely death, he did earn a medical, an emergency medical technician's license. So he was an EMT, mm-hmm. which it's a shame that, you know, he ended up basically 
like being murdered <laughs> murdered because if he would have just been injured maybe the story would have a completely different outcome because being an EMT you gotta think yes he may have been injured but he could have possibly have provided life-saving services to Nicole and himself yeah so well and also like could have possibly gotten help there soon yeah it, like there's just a whole lot of things. Yeah. So, like, he did earn this EMT-like license, but he never pursued that career. But, I mean, if, if even if you don't pursue that career, you still have that training. So, that's why I'm saying, like, he could have provided, like, life-saving services to himself or Nicole. So... He had told friends he wanted to open a bar or restaurant in the Brentwood area. It's not worth it, my dude. Don't do it. It's not worth the stress. <laughs> I've gotten out of the profession. And even when I go and visit, like, back at, like, where we both used to work, I sit there and go, oh, God, I don't miss it. This is going on. This, like, I can't, like, just sit there and enjoy it because I'll be watching people. And I'll be like, this person will complain about this fucking thing. It's not even the server's fault. I feel so fucking bad. And I know who's got to go deal with it. <laughs> So, I saw a TikTok <laughs> that was like, your body cannot differentiate different types of stress. Like, it can't differentiate the difference between, like, your loved one dying in a hospital or you just being a day late on a bill. Yeah. Stress is stress. So, similarly, like, working in a stressful environment and then going back to your stressful work <laughs> environment, like... It puts me back there and I'm like, oh, God. Do I need to go talk to this table? I don't work here anymore. I can't go and talk to You don't get table. paid for that bullshit anymore. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so he wanted to open his own bar or restaurant. So I think what many people fail to realize is that him and Nicole weren't dating. They were just friends. He actually had had a relationship with a jackie bell for nearly two years before she broke off their relationship about three months prior to like his death i was about to say i thought that he was engaged to somebody i don't know why i think that's something that they had um brought in but like if you look he was in a long-term relationship but they had actually broken up a few months before but yes, him and Nicole were not in any sort of relationship besides being friends. So, according to a Los Angeles Times article published three days after his death, Ron had only met Nicole six weeks prior to the date that they were murdered when he borrowed her Ferrari. That's a good friend. <laughs> so they I don't have any friends like that. Right? So, they met for coffee and dinner occasionally, but their relationship was nothing more than platonic. Now, on that fateful day for Nicole and Ron, at the time of her death, Brown resided at 875 South Bundy Drive in Brentwood, Los Angeles, California, with her two kids, both of which were OJs. So, on the evening of Sunday, June 12th, 1994, Goldman worked as a server, and this was at Mezzaluna 
Territoria, I think is how it's said. I don't know. You can look it up. It doesn't really matter, but he was he was working at his job as a waiter at like basically the day that everything happened. So Nicole had come in with her mother, and her mother had left a pair of sunglasses on the table where they had dined. And Ron wasn't their server, but she had called Ron to basically locate the sunglasses. And Ron and, like, the staff basically found them. They weren't in the restaurant. They were actually in, like, the gutter outside the restaurant. Mom had a little bit of fun at dinner. Yeah. But, anyways, the sunglasses in question were found, and Ron agreed to bring them by the house so that Nicole could return them to her mom. So, the Los Angeles Times reports that Goldman punched out at 9.33 p.m. and stayed another 15 minutes to have a bottle of water at the bar. He stopped first at his Brentwood apartment and spoke briefly to his roommate, who also worked at Mezzaluna as a bartender, before he left and went to Nicole's. But before he left, the two, him and the roommate, had made plans to go out later that evening. So, as far as Nicole's, like, prior events to this death, she and OJ both attended their daughter's dance recital earlier that day, And then the family decided to go out to dinner, which is when they went to the restaurant. So, then you fast forward to Nicole and Ron being brutally murdered outside Nicole's Brentwood, California home. So, it's said that the number for, like, the amount of times Nicole was stabbed changes but like Ron's is always a concrete like amount so in this little bullet point says Nicole was stabbed five times in the neck and Rob was Ron sorry not Rob Ron was stabbed to death as well later I have like his amount I think it's like 25 times he was Whoever attacked knew that they needed to basically kill him. Take him out to get to Nicole. Alright. So, Nicole was stabbed, like, less times than Ron. They both basically succumbed to their stab wounds. So, late that night, Nicole's dog who was a white Akita, was discovered by a neighbor walking the neighborhood by itself with bloody paw prints. This led to the discovery around midnight that night of the murders of Nicole and Ron outside her home. The first police to arrive at the condo said that the master bathroom was lit with candles 
The tub was full, the television was on, and a cup of half-melted ice cream was on the downstairs banister, and her children were asleep up in their rooms. I, in all the years I've known this case, I don't ever think I remember hearing about the children being home. I did know that. And, like, that to me is just so, like, polarizing because it's like, these children were literally at home asleep in their beds while their mother was being brutally murdered outside their home. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine going to sleep? Your mom puts you to bed, and then the next morning, you like, the next thing you know, you're getting woken up, and you don't know where your mom is. You don't know what's going on. And then probably the next thing, like, that you really remember being told is that your mother's gone. Like, I don't know how I would cope. So as I said, the murder the murders were brutal. This little note says that Nicole was stabbed 12 times, so that changes from the five. But yeah, so Nicole Nicole was stabbed either five or twelve times. Either way, she was stabbed less times than Ron. Ron was apparently stabbed 25 times. That's overkill. You don't say. (laughs) Like, so this case explodes into national news once it's announced that Nicole was the former wife of O.J. Simpson, who was this big football celebrity star, whatever you want. Yes, he may have been retired by now, but, like, still, at that time, he was a big name. People knew him. But it, even, it gained even more traction when it was announced he was charged with the murders. On June 13, 1994, police went to O.J.'s house while he was returning from Chicago, and they found a trail of blood from his vehicle to the front door, and a bloody glove that matched the one that was found near Ron's body. June 17th was when he agreed to turn himself in, but he led police on the infamous slow-speed chase in his white Ford Bronco. Which, if you've not seen the, like, video footage of this, it it's something, like, Nowadays, police would have just sped by, threw out, like, a nail tack thing and said, all right, we're done. <laughs> but no, they followed him for miles until he finally pulled over and was like, all right, you got me. <laughs> but I give up. Yeah. Which I get, I get into my little tinfoil hat theory about this, this chase here towards the end. So hang in with us. So millions of people watched this live chase. And according to history.com, Simpson was carrying his passport, a disguise, and $8,750 in cash on him. The chase eventually ended with OJ giving himself up and he was charged with two counts of murder. And OJ's preliminary hearing, which lasted eight days, 
so June 30th through July 8th, the judge found there was enough evidence to basically move on with the trial. So a quote from history.com says, the evidence against Simpson was extensive. His blood was found at the murder scene. There was blood, hair, and fibers from Brown and Goldman that were found in Simpson's car at the time, like, like that was at his home. So one of his gloves was also found in Brown's home. The other outside his own house. There were bloody shoe prints found at the scene that matched the shoes that, like, Simpson owned. So, there's a lot going against him. So, one thing that, like, basically this case went on to do was that Simpson's lawyers claimed that he was being framed by racist police. Which, not much has changed, but... It's a possibility. The trial lasted eight months and the deliberations lasted three hours. And when it was all said and done, Simpson was acquitted on October 3rd, 1995. If you know anything about the court case, you know the whole, like, I think it was like in the closing statements, you have the infamous, if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. And the glove didn't, did not fit. Didn't Ross Geller say that? I don't remember. But I just remember if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. And the glove indeed did not fit. So later, the Brown and Goldman families went on to sue Simpson he was found liable for damages in the wrongful death of Goldman and the battery of Nicole. A $33.5 million civil judgment was lodged against OJ. That's a lot of fucking money. <laughs> so, Although O.J. never received any jail time for the murders, he did end up going to jail in 2008, and that was due to a 2007 incident where Simpson was charged with breaking into a Las Vegas hotel room and taking sports memorabilia that he claimed had been stolen from him. So, on October 3rd, 2008, he was found guilty and sentenced to 33 years in prison. And he was finally released on October 1st, 2017. So, as we said, there are a few different conspiracies to this case. You have some that believe that Ron and Nicole were killed by OJ. And, like... I know we always say you look at the spouse or whatnot. You look at the people close. And that's usually your killer. But as years have gone, I've actually kind of researched this case. I don't think OJ did it. I really don't think OJ did it. I think he just became a scapegoat. So, like I said, you have some that believe that OJ did it, 
And that would explain, like, some of the evidence. But there's a lot of evidence that they can't tie to OJ. There are some that say that maybe it's a possibility that he was framed. And that's also a possibility. I mean, he was a big known star. He was in football. I'm sure he had to have blood tests and that done at times. That could explain how, like, his blood got to the crime scene and whatnot. Like, there's just, there's things that, like, you're saying they're going, eh, you could explain this way, explain that way. But the most convincing theory I have ever seen and that I fully support <laughs> is the fact that maybe, just maybe, the real culprit in this case is OJ's son, Jason Simpson. Dun, dun, dun. So here's where I need you to put on your tinfoil hats and go on this ride with me. Uh, tinfoil hat on. <laughs> buckled up. Let's go. So there's a book called OJ is Innocent and I Can Prove It that was written by Dallas private investigator William Deere. And it was written back in 2012. And it points out evidence that can incriminate Jason Simpson. And recently, or I guess maybe probably like during COVID or like the end of COVID times. if Like if you go by what people are saying or end of COVID. Basically the end of lockdown. There was a big surge on TikTok pointing to Jason possibly being the culprit here. So, before we kind of get into the evidence, let's learn a little bit about Jason. He was born in 1970, and as I said, he is the product of OJ's first marriage. He was the first son. Jason was seven when OJ starred Dane Nicole. And remember, at the time, he's still technically married to Jason's mother. So there's probably some resentment there. So, Jason was also said to have a rough childhood. Um, so, not long after his parents divorced, remember Aaron that I brought up? She, at the age of one, tragically died due to drowning in the family pool. So, I mean, you gotta think he is probably seven years old dealing with the fact that your little sibling has passed away due to drowning your family's not together all this mm -hmm. and then um like a few months after this is when his parents finally divorced so, the book suggests that Jason began abusing alcohol, ecstasy, and cocaine as early as age 14. And they put forward, like, medical records that show three, like, suicide attempts. So, clearly, if this is the case, he is not mentally well. At the time of the murders, Jason was struggling with mental health issues and a criminal record. 
basically his criminal past is kind of the first like thing that the book brings up as to like why he could possibly be the killer so um basically he was arrested four times prior to the murders and for the most part it was things like dui driving with a suspended license things like that but the real kicker is he was arrested for assault with a deadly weapon jason had violently attacked one girlfriend with a knife almost killing her and had assaulted another in years leading up to his stepmother's death by stabbing. At the time of the murder, he was on probation for attacking his boss with a kitchen knife. Nicole and Ron were both stabbed. Remember this. Mm -hmm. OJ was allegedly abusive, but there's never any accounts of him using a weapon. So for him to escalate to using a weapon, it's likely, but also if someone has a past of using a weapon, it's probably more likely that they're the ones that did the attack. Right. So the second thing they go on to say in this article or book is Jason had been diagnosed with a rage disorder. His disorder was commonly known as Jekyll and Hyde syndrome. So basically, when he went into a fit of rage, he was a completely different person. He kind of forgot his other self. He was known to black out and had been, like, committed to a hospital on several occasions for hearing voices in his head again we bring up the whole mental health thing like it's very possible that he went to a fit of rage and doesn't remember it and here we are so he had been pres prescribed a drug called depa I think is how it said. I don't know. But anyways, it was a drug that basically allowed him to cope with his anger and the seizures that, like, his anger would cause and that. It's said, though, that Jason stopped taking this medication in the months leading up to the murders. So if you want anybody that has taken any sort of drug dealing with mental health, you know that, like, once you're on it, and then you suddenly drop it, sometimes your symptoms come back worse. Mm -hmm. So, again, it's very likely that if he was on this drug and he stopped taking it, his anger only intensified. So, the next thing that this little book and that brings up is that Jason had a private diary that revealed violent thoughts. In Deere's book, he said that he was able to get a hold of Jason's diary, and Jason talked about wanting to hurt people, especially anyone that wronged his loved ones. Hmm. A note titled, Dear Jason, demonstrates manic thoughts and describes the writer as being three people. 
and handwriting experts have concluded that Jason did indeed write this letter. So the next little piece of evidence is that basically there is a black knit Navy watch cap that was found at the scene that did not match fibers of anything like OJ owned, but that hat also had dog hairs, which OJ didn't own a dog, but guess what? Jason did, and Jason also was known for wearing these watch caps. There are actually photographs that were found in a storage locker that belonged to Jason that showed that he wore these types of caps. And he actually has one pictured that is a black watch cap. And guess what? His dog is in the photo. This image is dated March 24th of 93. So, I mean... It's well prior to their deaths. The LAPD found 15 unknown fingerprints at Nicole's Brentwood home where the murder took place and none of them matched OJ's prints, but the police also failed to compare them to Jason's prints. Blood and skin was found under Nicole's fingernails and guess what? It didn't match OJ's DNA, but they never tested Jason. But also, wouldn't it be a well at that time? Maybe not. I was going to yeah. say, wouldn't it be a like if you would do it now? Match? It could possibly be linked. But yeah. So, Ron, like I said, he was stabbed twenty-five times. So whoever attacked him knew that they had to take him down, and that's because maybe the person knew. That Ron was a third degree black belt. And Ron was actually found with bruised hands suggesting that he did fight back against his attacker. So OJ was actually stripped by the LAPD to look for any bruising, which he showed no signs of. Jason, his DNA was never requested and they also never checked him for any bruising. Another, like, little point to note is that a knife was found in Jason's storage locker, and it matched the description of the murder weapon. The Swiss and stiletto knives that were owned by OJ were rolled out for the murder weapons, but forensic scientists hired by our author of this book examined the knife that was found in Jason's storage locker and concluded that the butt of the knife matches the injury Nicole suffered at the top of her head. And another thing that kind of links Jason to possibly being like, this is the murder weapon and whatnot, and why he could be another thing, is that Jason attended the Army and Navy Academy, where he was trained in hand-to-hand -hand combat and also field knife training. So, <laughs> I mean... Things just keep stacking up against this man. Another thing is that OJ was said to hate the sight of blood. So for him to cause such a bloody scene is highly unlikely. Like, 
I understand, like, if you get in a fit of rage and that, like, sometimes, like, you just don't understand. But, like, anybody that has, like, a fear of the sight of blood, usually if you see it, that's enough to, like, trigger you out of any, like, manic episode. <laughs> and I feel like if he would have popped out of it and seen it, we would probably have, like, basically something there to... <laughs> show that it was actually him at the scene. So one of the most damning things for Jason, in my opinion, is that he has no alibi for the night of the murders. The LAPD determined that the murders took place between 9.45 p.m. and 10.05 p.m. And after 9.50, Jason was alone and has no alibi that can be supported by anyone else. At the restaurant where he worked, Jason's time card for the night of June 12th was also handwritten, even though the time clock was working. So why didn't he have an electronic timestamp? So this means that his alibi that he was even at work at the time could be false. So, Jason also had a love-hate relationship with Nicole. She was supposedly supposed to come see him at work the night that, like, this all happened, but she changed her mind, and it's said that he became furious because of this. So, that could be enough to trigger this Jekyll and Hyde syndrome that he had. So, the next thing that is weird is that OJ hired a defense team for Jason. Jason, to this point, had never been questioned by LAPD. Like, for the, like from what we know, he was never on their radar. So, why would you, as the leading, like, basically suspect, hire a famous attorney to represent your son who hasn't even been questioned and you have what they called like the dream team of things but like still this one attorney that you had for your son was said to be the top defensive like attorney it makes no sense also the dream team never like Basically, when you are in, like, a defensive mode, you usually try to point the blame at someone else. So, like, no time during any of the proceedings did the defense, like, try to point the finger at anybody else. They never tried to say, my client never did this or never, like, has no reason to do this, but this person did. And that could be because the only other person that's logical is the son, and OJ doesn't want to incriminate his son. Why would you want to point the finger at your own son? So, I brought up the glove earlier. The famous glove that didn't fit. So, we all know OJ, professional, like, football player, he has big old hands. If you haven't seen it, look it up and see. His hands are, like, fucking abnormal. <laughs> I do already have the picture saved for Instagram with the gloves on. Okay. But yeah, you'll see like it doesn't it doesn't really fit. 
His son, however, does not have as big of hands. And so, be very interesting to see how the glove would fit. And the last little conspiracy theory thing I have for you is, we all know the infamous slow speed chase. What if that is a way for OJ to basically stall, put all eyes on him, you have LAPD following you, they're not looking at other people because they they think you're running, you know you're guilty, you're trying to get away. You are, so if I'm OJ and I'm trying to save my son, I'm causing a diversion and meanwhile, either I'm on the phone or I have someone telling him, this is your chance. Hide any evidence possible. Now, in all my research, I never found anything saying when Jason got the storage locker that these pictures and this knife was found in. But I'd be very interested to know when the storage locker was bought. I don't think it was bought the same day that the speech like high speed or low speed mm-hmm. chase like happened but like if it was bought prior be very interested to know if he visited it that day so that's kind of where my little conspiracy theory ends I'm sure if I would go digging in even more there'd probably be even more stuff that people bring up but Like I said, to me, Jason stands out as, like, the prime suspect. And OJ, just because he was married and he was the big celebrity, people focused on him. And he probably found out that maybe his son was involved. And he wanted to basically protect him the best way he could. So, basically, I want to know what your thoughts are. I want to know who you think killed Nicole and Ron. Do you think OJ did it? Do you think somebody else did it? Do you think Jason did it? Do you have a whole nother out there, like, person that we're not even thinking of? I think at this point, Jason is the most likely option. Do I think we'll ever get an answer? No, because I think the families have tried to move on. They got a settlement. And also, like, at this point, knowing the time that these crimes happened, is there still DNA evidence that is viable? Could you even Could you even relate, like, basically bring this back to Jason? Is the evidence even still there? Yeah. (laughs) So. I would love to give you a. You know. Hand wrapped. With a bow. Christmas gift. Christmas gift of this is what happened. But it will probably never happen. But like I said. It's always fun to put on the little tinfoil hats. And go look at this case. And be like. Did did the what ifs? Did the son do it? You know, 
you know, they talk about the blood and that being there and it being OJ's, but if, you know, the son is also OJ's, yeah, I think the blood would obviously probably match. So, yeah. Because you gotta remember, this is not present time. This is the early 80s. Like, the science is not the same. So, things would have shown up basically not as detailed as they would now. So, with that, we're gonna leave you there. Like I said, let us know what you think. Let us know. If, have you ever heard the Jason side? All that. So, I wanted to do a good case following our anniversary episode, and this one popped up, and I was like, let's do it. Let's do our conspiracy theory. <laughs> let's go. But I guess with that being said, this has been a little bit of a long one, but let's kick you off to the last call. Welcome back to another Last Call with Sloan. Today, I thought we could do fun facts about The Simpsons, Ooh. <laughs> the cartoon show. Not the couple. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the I'm not sure show. there's many fun facts there. I'm sure there could be some. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, number one, the Yellow family has broken tons of records. For starters, The Simpsons is the longest-running animated sitcom, has the most Emmy Awards won for an animated TV series, the most People's Choice Awards by an animated series, the most guest stars featured in an animated series, and the most liked TV show on Facebook. I gotta admit, I mean, I'm not a big Simpsons fan. I mean, I'll watch an episode if somebody turns it on, but I'm not gonna be like, hey. I never got really into it, but, like, all through, like, elementary and middle school, my one of my, like, friends, like, her family loved The Simpsons. I, every time I was over there, we watched The Simpsons, like, so I know enough about it. And I always find it so funny, like, the things that they, like, basically, like, conspire on and, like, make up that end up coming true. It's fucking insane. <laughs> yeah, like the 9-11. Yes. Yeah, there's quite a few of them. Yeah. Like, like, who has a time machine there? Number two, once Matt Groening was so upset with the critics, crossover inclusion in A Star is Burns that he got his name removed from one episode. His name does not appear in the opening credits of that episode. Oh. Three, Krusty the Clown was inspired by real-life clown Rusty Nails. The Portland entertainer was a very sweet clown, says Matt Groening, who grew up watching him. Yuck. Four, <laughs> the iconic sound of dough that Homer makes. Duh. Duh. I don't know. His little dough. <laughs> make was inspired by Laurel and Hardy's James... Finlayson's dough. What we hear from Homer is a shortened version of that expression. Laurel and Hardy used it in the script as a fill-in for damn. <laughs> it does make sense now. He's always like, don't! <laughs> damn. <laughs> Five, most voice actors of the show are paid highly well. I bet they are. I bet they are. Initially, when the show started, the unknown actors were earning 30000 per episode. Jesus. In today's time, they fetch four hundred. Uh, uh, I am shocked. <laughs> they they earn four hundred thousand dollars from a single episode. Oh my god! 
from talk, a, talk about just lucking into probably like a sitcom you think it's only gonna last like a little bit and now you're making my lacunas you not need that money you're <laughs> i need that money you're almost mila isn't in that one she she's meg's voice isn't she that's not simpsons oh that's family guy i'm I was wrong it's like, not simpsons i'm wrong as per usual. Like I but, said, I don't watch this shit. <laughs> but, like, could you imagine? Like, you probably joined this thing thinking, eh, it's going to last a couple seasons. And now you're sitting there almost making half a million, like, per episode. That literally disgusts me. <laughs> you're making half a million, basically, like, just using your voice. You're not I'm even struggling to pay bills. <laughs> <laughs> and you're. Uh, let anyways. me let me be a voice actor. Come on. Don't nobody want this voice. <laughs> Except for you guys. Thank you. Yeah. Six. Elizabeth Taylor lent her voice for Maggie when she uttered her first words. Matt said, we did 24 takes, but they were always too sexual. <laughs> no. Not you Elizabeth don't Taylor. Say. <laughs> Number seven. The Simpsons is actually a spinoff of the Tracy Ullman show. The Simpsons family was first featured in a series of interstitial cartoon shorts on the Fox sketch comedy show. Okay. Eight, when he was introduced, Krusty the Clown was going to be Homer in disguise. Oh, God. The initial plan was that Bart would discover Homer was Krusty and it would bring the two together. That's creepy as fuck. Oh, God. Nine, did you know the comic book guy actually has a name? It's Jeffrey Jeff Albertson. I think I did know that. Number 10, the story of how Matt coined Homer's name is rather odd. Apparently, his dad's name is Homer. However, Matt explains, I thought Simpson was a funny name in that it had the word simp in it, which is short for simpleton. <laughs> not anymore. I was saying not anymore. Matt was in high school when he first thought of Bart's character. He wrote a book as a kid about a boy named Bart Simpson, whose father Homer would get mad at him. 13, to complete one episode from pitch to production, it takes six to eight months. Jesus. That's nearly equivalent to the time it takes to making a baby. I hope that they're making just as much money as the voice actors. <laughs> right? 14, the sole reason why the characters in Simpson are yellow is that they appear to be eye-catching. An animator showed the color to Matt, who approved because when you're flicking through channels with your remote control and a flash of yellow goes by, you'll know you're watching The Simpsons. He ain't wrong. Yeah. That's probably why they've survived so long. And last, if you notice, God, and sometimes Jesus, always has five fingers, unlike everyone else in the Simpsons universe. Did not notice. I have not watched enough episodes to really catch that. So, that was my fun last call to end this episode. No Ned? Nothing about Ned. Sorry. Oh, Only 15 fun facts. We hope you enjoyed this. You can find us on our social medias. We have Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. They are all tequila she wrote across the board. You can also email us with any drink recipes, case suggestions. Say hello, I love you at tequila she wrote at gmail.com. We also have our Patreon set up for as little as $2 a month. You get ad-free episodes. And then if you pay a little more... You get even more bonus content. Sloan does a ruining paradise. I do a haunted. It's whatever you're you're wanting out of us, basically. 
within reason. <laughs> but the easiest way to find us is by going to patreon.com backslash tequila she wrote. And if you don't want to do that way, you can go to our link tree and click on the Patreon button. It should send you directly to our page. If you're struggling in any way, let us know. We will try to direct you there the best we can. Also, if you have any street like bonus streaming platforms that you think maybe we should look into because you don't maybe like Patreon or whatnot, let us know. We will look into it, see if it's something we can get like a hold of. Yeah. All that fun stuff. Thanks for riding on the Hot Mess Express. Toot toot. Beep beep. Thank <laughs> you.